You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Dude, I'm just, I'm, to me, I'm sitting with a legend. I knew that. You know, that that's the thing. Like with him, I, I was such a, Vulgar came out. I mean, Cowboys from Hell came out. Then Vulgar came out. Vulgar changed everybody. If you wanted to play any heavy music, you know, you, you everything you were writing, you threw away. And said, <laughs> I got to start over. That just <laughs> desecrated all of everybody. Metallica backed up. They were the biggest at that point. They were winning all the Grammys, all the, the non-stupid shit. But it was like that album just was affecting everybody. And it was just real. It was like, uh, see, here's the, we, we, we rock, you know, we're a rock band, right? We're, we're rebellion art. And I think we forget that. We get lost in the practice, practice, practice. No, we're rebellion art. Without the rebellion arts part of it, it's just notes. Ladies and gentlemen, Corey's been kind enough to let me, he's my compatriot along with Siobhan Cronin, introduce this show 2020, 2020-D.com. Begrudgingly, I begrudgingly allowed you to start. (laughs) Well, because we have a super freaking amazing guest this week, and I say this just because like, some people that come on, like, we like them. And some people look, we really like them. And man, I fucking love this guy. I fucking yep. love him. And what a great guitarist. What a great dude. What a great producer. Like, what a great human being from the band Seether, but also not to be lost on Stuck Mojo and Stereo, uh, Stereo Mud. Stereo Mud. I, I got Wicked Stone yep. before this. Um, and <laughs> no. I, by the way, I love the song Pain. We were just talking about, like, Corey, tell the story. Yeah, about, no. Uh, uh, it, but we didn't say so, his name, by the way. It's, it's, it's Corey Lowry. Yeah, Corey Lowry. Great, great first name. Um, Cal- but, uh, Corey. Yeah, so With the added E, pay yes, for the extra vowel yeah, in his words. He, he did buy the extra vowel. Um, but it's funny because this is a guy uh, that... I had no idea existed <laughs> as, as sometimes our guests are. And then I'm super happy to now know him. But um, Ben and I were at the star set show a few weeks back and they were playing with Seether. And so we got to see Seether. So they, you know, they killed it. They have so many hit songs, you know, you know, every song you can sing all the lyrics. And it's I remember seeing the guitarist and thinking that guy's nuts and didn't put too much stock into it. But then we get to talk to him today and find out that, uh, you know, not only he's a really great guy, but he was, in stereo mud and not only that but he wrote the music in stereo mud and stereo mud was on my ipod in 2000 and whatever freaking three or something like that sitting sitting in high school blasting pain by stereo mud for probably months because at the time i was very obsessive about the music i was listening to and then you know just having the chance to talk to him today and just it was a really big full circle moment um yeah and a a reason that i'm grateful to have you know have this kind of platform with you guys well, he had some amazing stories to tell, and it was a, a pleasure for me to be able to get to know him on the tour we've been doing with uh, Seether the last couple weeks. Um, I guess it'll be over by the time this episode comes out, but let's jump right in. Part one with my friend, our new friend, Corey Lowry of Seether. Stay tuned. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm Siobhan Cronin here, as always, with Benny and Corey, and we're excited to bring you another episode of 2020. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't yet. And this week, I'm very excited to introduce my new friend, 
touring mate at the moment, Corey Lowry of Seether, guitar player, incredible musician. It's been really awesome to get to know you a little bit. Stereo uh, Melon! Stereo oh, Melon! Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been awesome tour with you. You're the sweetest. You are the Oh, awesome. thank you. No, it's been awesome. It's It's been really fun. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're kind of back on the road and like, meshing with other bands i feel like it's been way too long and i was super pumped that you were up for doing this because it's really cool to watch you play and like hear some of your thoughts on music so i'm excited for you to share all of your wisdom with my friends here and all of our listeners however many that may be yeah it's really it's interesting for me too because uh you know i have i've obviously tried we ben and i both try to catch siobhan whenever she comes by uh through new england so we were at the show and uh, you know i watched you on stage and then like you know a week and a half later siobhan's like oh yeah He's gonna be on the show now. <laughs> it's like cool. Awesome. So like you got you know you guys killed it. it was, the whole show was was so cool. Um, you know especially with with see there having so many hits. It like blows your mind. Oh, you're sitting there oh, yeah, like you're one of those bands. Like, every song. Like, I'm like oh yeah, that was on the radio. Yep, that was on the radio. Yep, that was on the radio. <laughs> we get that a lot. You know like you know I, I think people are starting to put faces. You know I, I we we've never really you know. Where that band, like, you know, look how cool we are. And, you know, we just like to write music, play, you know, put records out and have fun. And, but, you know, I think it is important people make a face to this. You know, now we're in that place and, you know, the arena world is always fun. So, you know, got to yeah. put yourself out there a little bit more, I guess. You know? Well, I think Corey really hit on it because. Look, man, you know, the, uh, we talked to John Garabedian, the, the DJ extraordinaire, and he basically said that most people, they stop like li- liking new music after like 20 years old. So it's like Pink Floyd, Queen, the Eagles, like nothing after, you know, fucking Aerosmith done with mirrors that was fucking sell out. Like that's how, depending on how old you are, that that's how like your brain can be. But sure. like you, you still exist. So like if you were alive in the 80s, you know Prince and you know like the Eagles. I feel like if you were alive in like 2000 till now and you don't actually know your band, even just from like ambiance walking through the Hard Rock right. Cafe Casino, you're literally living under a fucking rock. It's it's it, it happens. You know, it's funny. It's like when you we get a, <laughs> I, I'll have a, like a construction guy come over to work on my house or something. And he's kind of like, oh, yeah, man, so we can do this. We can do this. And then he'll walk in and he'll, and he'll go through my studio or whatever and see, you know, that, wait a minute, you didn't see there? I mean, we're going to discount this. Like, and I'm like, I'm like, man, you know, like, be cool all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, for <laughs> so, sure. Perks of the gig. Yeah. yeah, perks of the gig, you know, I guess, you know, I, it's, it's like the inverse. It's like if you were a hot chick, like my fiance got bath fitters and they're like 10,000% overpriced and have the most ridiculous cutthroat shit. And they're just like, yeah, we're just going to make it better. And she's like, okay, let's sign this ridiculous contract and you can take my tongue. And like, whereas you're a dude, they know that you're in a band. So automatically, if you're in a band and you have records on the wall, you must be rich. And they're like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. that's the guy let's we should give the discount to. Fuck right? you, man. <laughs> that's nail him to the cross. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, through, through the years, th- through years of playing music and stuff, you, we all have been doing this for a long time and you get to meet so many people and there's so many projects you work on producing to, being in a band to a songwriter for other bands and you know like i, I don't really sometimes i get a little I, I just like to work i like to look forward and i don't really focus on what's happening at the, I, I need to slow down a lot more and pay attention to the present i guess a lot more because 
but I'm so excited because there's always something new to work on. There's a new record. We're doing a new record now, or I'm getting ready to work with this guy or this girl. And, and it's, it's been, I think it's, I don't want to slow down and pay attention to any of that. I just want to move forward. And later on in life, you know, when like people say, Hey man, you know, do we work together? And you know, it's, you have all that. I mean, cause you know, that's what we are. We're servants kind of, you know, we serve people and we're trying to make, something cool happened for the society and you know and bright stuff that everyone can relate to and stuff like that so it's it's important for to keep going i think i think you do get old when you slow down and say you look how cool i am and what my accomplishment my accomplishment ben must be super old then <laughs> We yeah, my standards. <laughs> well, I, I feel like the way he was describing it, like it was if Bill and Ted could describe, like we're servants to the people, and everything must be excellent. I just everything love it, man. Like, how do make we? That's the whole focus, you know, is make everything undeniable, make it badass. You know, if it's not badass, if it's not real, hardest thing we do is try to be ourselves. You know, everybody's, you know, it's some you can get lost in that whole. Let me be this person or that person. But, you know, that's people see through that pretty quick these days, I think, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of being you, before we get too carried away, I want to just introduce you sort of to the listeners that may not know you. And I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about your story about getting into guitar, how you got exposed to music, your early influences, how you got on the path of being a musician. Sure. Um, my mom and dad played music. They were signed before I was born. And... um so I was walking around, you know, like through with musicians through my whole life, you know, mm -hmm. uh, bell bottoms and, you know, hippies and stuff like that. And um, I, it, we didn't have a lot of toys, so there was a lot of instruments around. So we just picked up and we never learned one instrument. It was learn everything, you know, like mm -hmm. my dad was my dad was a huge influence as, as far as saying, hey, I say, how do you play G, C, and D? And he's like, "I'm just watch me. You know, he never showed us one thing. But we, I would watch him, you know, I idolized him. You know, that was, was the first music I ever heard. You know, my first vision in life was being on this roadie's shoulders. And I had his coat over my legs. And I was looking through his afro. And <laughs> the stage was red. And I was like, my parents have superpowers. I mean... I thought they were making the stage red. I didn't know, you know, there were lights or anything. And just the smell of the whole thing and the loudness, the people singing and stuff like that. So I was drawn to it um, at a super young age. My whole family, you know, my brothers were as well. But um, so I started out on guitar and bass and kind of drums and stuff like that. And, uh, and Christmas, uh, I wanted my own guitar, and, and I think uh, and Clint wanted to play drums. He was playing drums at that point, and um, we couldn't afford a whole drum set, so I gave him my guitar, and there was a bass, and I started playing bass, and there was I was 11 years old, and there was a band in my neighborhood. I had a big earth amp, this huge 8x10 cabinet, which is kids... They thought that I was the cool. I got in the band because I got a big bass amp, basically. <laughs> and but I was also I could play all these things, and so I got in the band. I started playing bass professionally. Like by fifteen, I was playing with my father. I played with him for three years, and that 
he had perfect pitch, perfect timing, and it was incredibly hard to play with him. Still to this day, the hardest thing I've ever done in music was play with him. You know, he would hit a flat or sharp note, and he would give you that look. And, I mean, scary. You know that look. (laughs) And it was just, he had a discipline for the stage. If you're going to get on stage, you got to know your stuff. You know, there's no more thinking about notes when you're on stage. It had to be no everything. You know, now you actually get to play the song. Other than that, you were thinking about the song. So I, um, I always took that serious and, the movements and stuff like that had to be just whatever happens, you know, like people are like, I like the way you move. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, like stuff like that. And uh, next thing I know, we started just keep, keep uh, writing songs. Uh, Clint and I joined a band. We went out on tour. We've been touring since I was 15, you know, so it's, it's been a long journey. And through those, I've been in stereo mutts, dark new day, stuck mojo, I Empire and, you know, like, and work with hundreds of bands as far as producing at this point. I got to meet so many amazing artists that are, and uh, producers and stuff like that. And I think if you stay open and ask questions and th- they were so cool to teach, you know, be a, you know, just learn. How does this work? How does this compressor EQ work? How does the console work and stuff like that? And I just want, I was fascinated by that entire thing. It wasn't just, hey, let me just learn guitar. I mean, that was, that was sitting on my bed over here, like hours and not had, I didn't have friends growing up. I had my guitar, you know? Yeah. No, it it seems, you told me a few stories that you were so influenced by your dad and you learned a lot about uh, discipline. Um, I'm curious, what sort of music were your parents playing or what was like one of your early memories of being influenced by a sound or a certain band? Like, was there a style that you were drawn to? Stylistic wise, I loved, like my dad was a very soulful, like blues, soulful singer. He could sing like Otis Redding and I was just like, Percy Sledge and could, but he would also go into the Hendrix thing with the guitar. And, and so he was heavily influenced by uh, the heaviness of stuff, but he had this funkiness to him, you know, it was all feel and emotion and he jammed. He would just, he never told me what songs we were playing. He would just start playing and you were like, you had to be on it. And you, you, your ear gets really quick to hear you know, I didn't want to learn what, you know, pitch, you know, was or anything. I was just like, I just want to play with them so bad. Like, as soon as I would hear the G, okay, go to G, you know, and start playing. Um, It helped with my writing. Uh, You know, that was the big thing for me was he said, learn all the instruments, learn at least enough to, you know, have an under solid understanding. So when you hear it in your head, you'll be able to write it all out and um so that was that's where the writing began and you know you write some you know some of my favorite songs are when i first started because they're just absolutely you know you know you pour your heart out into it i thought they were like massive mm-hmm. they're the worst probably but you know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's, it's 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 been it's it's a fun career to be in you know if if you take all that in it's not just one thing, you know, out here touring, you know, we, there's the show, but then there's 23 other hours. 
mm-hmm. so much to do if you want to do it you know yeah. so okay, something that, that. that you that you just glossed over um and you know i guess you know being a stoner i didn't put two and two until like wikipedia like freshened me up that your brother is clint Lowry, which you just kind of casually mentioned, who's also in the band Seven Dust, who I saw for the first time November 27th, 1997, because that was with Snot. Yeah, Yeah, no, because I skipped, I skipped, I skipped, I skipped the the second set of the Fish show that was going on at the Centrum to go and catch that show because Fish played two sets. And I remember being like, do I go to Seven Dust or do I go to Fish? Because it was the first time Seven Dust had come to town and you guys are brothers. And I've always thought that he was a fucking Jedi. And I think now listening to you, listening about your dad, your yeah. dad reminds me of someone like what I hear about like Prince was like or Frank Zappa was like or all these like amazing musicians are like oh they didn't tell me the set like Chuck Berry never told people the set he would just yell the key sometimes is what I heard school, man. yeah, yeah. And do you feel like that like really influenced your because like clearly you guys have a genetic pool that's pretty fucking strong from what I've gathered from CMC yeah, yeah. there and, and Seven Dust totally do you think that helped a lot yeah because you know like we would sit at home and I think we you influence each other. Yeah, he'd hear me rehearse. I would rehearse. He would rehearse. Who can rehearse the longest? I mean, you know, twelve hours of the day goes by. And you're still in there, you know, you know, killing it. And um, at the end of the day, I was that's. I think it that fun part of uh, the the competition part of hey man, let's put it in there. Let's you know, and, we're, and we were proud of it. It wasn't like, you know, you win or anything. The only thing you win is, hey, man, I'm better today than I am yesterday. And that was cool with us, you know. So, and we've, him and I have played in bands together and and written so many songs together. And But it was also important for each other to have our own thing. You know what I mean? It was, he has such a You did that, dude. You guys fucking did that. Music, you know, and <laughs> he wants to express all that stuff. It's hard. I think when you get too many people ex- wanting to express that hard, you know, I mean, it's his. I, I love working with all these bands and writing songs and stuff. He's got a solo career, Seven Dust. He's, he's constantly working. And, uh, you know, I think we still, you know, to the, this is just part of who we are at that point. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, there's, I'm, I'm so happy. And, to me, Seven S is one of the most underrated bands to this day. You know. Yeah. No. That's that's amazing to hear. Um, I, I want to go back and ask you about sort of building your career a little bit. And uh, you know, you mentioned you got into playing professionally really, really young. Like, what was the trajectory starting with your first band? Like, how did you sort of escalate to a more national level or being you know successful? Because there's 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 something that happens there, and I'm curious what the process was. Yeah. Um. So. I played with that for three years. And at that point, um, Clint and I, I saw Clint was, he was like becoming a really good guitar player. And like, and I knew some other guys in town and that's, uh, so I just picked the best musicians that you got to find the best in your area. And we, we found, you know, uh, Troy McLaurin who plays with Evanescence and, Bevan Davies plays with Danzig to a bunch of other people, and Donnie Hanbay was with signed with Double Drive, and so the, the that group uh, we learned a lot together for about six years of touring. The important part at that point, I think, in your life is to go out and earn it and 
learn how to tour, learn how, you know, for me, it was like, I never, we never got anything given to us. We always had to work real hard for everything. And, and, and they got, that band got to a point where we all knew we needed to make a decision of the next level and everybody's ready for their wings to sprout. Right. So I joined stuck mojo at that point and uh, they're just getting ready to take off. I could feel it, you know, like they're taking off seven dust was taking off and, and stuff, you know, the other guys were finding their bands and it was just at that time for all of us to spread our wings. Now I'm signed to century media which, and we're touring the world, you know, and that was crazy. You know, to me, I was like, you know, here we are in Europe, you know, for the first time and, you know, meeting all these new fans and stuff like that. And, um, it, it was, it was an incredible experience. And then, then you have times in music where something doesn't, something's not clicking and you want to start something else. And that was for me, uh, the direction after about three, three, four years in Stuck Mojo, I wanted to, I had all these new songs and stuff and I wanted to put together a band and it, that's where Stereo Mike came in. And we got signed to uh, Loud Records and it was a hip hop label. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm like, a hip hop label. You know, we were doing all these things and this was with the guys from Life of Agony, Propane and um, uh, to form Stereo Mike and the songs, man, were just something that was my baby, you know, I cared. This was my first shot for me to write. And here's what I sound, you know, here's what I can do, you know, and the guys were awesome. And, um, but we got signed and it was a humongous deal. I'd never even, this was the first actual big deal, you know, and we were with uh, loud records with Columbia using their radio team. And, um, and that thing was just, you know, a juggernaut of touring and the, re- you know, first time that I ever gone that high, you know, number three and on radio, you know, mm-hmm. and I was so nervous. I'm like, it sucks. And, you know, that as soon as we were done the record, I'm like, this is the worst. And, you know, like you get so nervous. You're so, in- have you ever been so into your stuff that you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm just bullshit myself. Maybe I've lied to myself. Absolutely. And, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. am I... No, and, none of us have had any self-doubt ever. No, <laughs> I think, I think that's all it is. I think that we, and we're the most like uh, insecure people in one sense, you know, like it seems like we're confident, but at the end of the day, I think it's, it's that insecurity. Let me tell you something about our band. We're in a band called Lost Symphony, okay? Mm-hmm. This started off as like a dream project for basically, it's the COVID project before COVID because I basically sat in my basement and composed shit with these keyboards, like, like, like yes, and pretty much sent them out. I was like, what would happen if we got Marty Friedman? What would happen if we got Skolnick from Testament? What would happen if we got like that dude, Rusty Cooley, who was like faster than Ingve? And we did that. We fucking did it. We actually did it, Javon. But all, all that's we the, the the list of guitarists is crazy. But one thing, like I remember Jeff Loomis, who I'm guessing you you're aware is he's yeah. a fucking Jedi. He's a Jedi science. Like not there's a point in your life where you go like I'm never gonna be Jason Becker. You Jeff Loomis try is like, to be Jason Becker. By the way, no, I saw your no. thing. I got oh, real fast. I'm giving you props for the thing you do for Jason Becker. I that, love Jason. That is incredible. That is, what that guy's come play something. Another planet. 
Dude, well, just so you know, yeah. if you come back with Seether, I'm, I would love to put like one of those guitars in your hand if you want to play one of them on, on the show. <laughs> Dude, Jason would go out of his... Here's the thing, and I'm going to say this again. The one thing, and I appreciate you talking about Jason because, I mean, I don't like to blow it up too much, but like Jason, at this point, you know, he has ALS for people that don't know. If you don't know about Jason Becker, look him up. He's the Olympic guitarist of all time. Of all. And like what he did by 19 is better than almost any human being by the time that they pass away. And right now, because he's stuck in his own mind, the only thing I can think I can do that I can help him or impact is besides, you know, obviously we raise a lot of money um, to, to give him better life, but to entertain him. So like we had like Nita Strauss played schools out. With Alice Cooper, who even gave him a shout out. Like, I, I could not believe it. Like, because of COVID, they had to do it on their phones. Sure. And I was like, I thought it was just going to be Nita. No, 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 no. Alice Cooper. And, like, Jason went out of his fucking mind. And I got to tell you, like, oh, I started wow. crying. Because, yeah. like, listen, man, I'm a piece of shit. But, like, that kept me out of hell for at least a week. <laughs> like, because he was so like, excited. He's the reason we sat on the, the count or the bed and practiced so hard. He was like the yeah. He was like, like, okay, we're never going to get there, but if we don't try, we'll never know. You know, like, never. And, and even when you found out, you, he was like one of those guys, you don't even, when you find out, okay, I'm going to be probably this good. You know what I mean? This is how fast this will ever move, probably, and all that stuff. He, you, were, you were happy to say, he's still the king. You know, he's still the king. Like, guy was coming up with stuff. I mean, I mean, what it's, it's it's tragic, but at the same time, we're still talking about him today. You know, it's, it's, we're still it's talking one of those about things. how amazing he was. You know, well, and and the point that I was getting at with Jeff Loomis is that I remember Marty Friedman and him. We put them together as like a cacot. I didn't tell Marty because Marty would never play ball with this. If you know Marty Friedman, he's a little bit cantankerous. Uh-huh. I love him; he's my hero, but he's he's cantankerous. I, if I said let's do a cacophony homage, he'd be like, "That's not happening." So I kind of like <laughs> snuck the pandas into the cage with Jeff Loomis and Marty Friedman. And when uh, Jeff played on it, I sent it to Marty, and Marty kind of edited it back, and I sent it to ba- back to to Jeff, and and I sent it to him, and Marty edited out like ninety percent of his guitars, and Jeff played fucking like a goddamn champion. Like a champion. And literally, he was like, I knew he wouldn't like him. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, listen, if I played one millionth as good as that dude did, just shitting into a fucking guitar, I would be like, oh, yeah, look at my schnutz. Marty Friedman at five foot four makes like six foot four Jeff Loomis scared because he played in cacophony (laughs) as he should be. And that comes back to like the whole self-doubt thing and how, you know, no matter no matter where you're at, I think everyone experiences that. And, And if you don't experience that, it probably means you're not trying as hard as you should like you know you should kind of always have that voice in the back of your head that's like can i do better can i what can i do to make this you know more important and just just to give you a shout out on that that stereo mud uh pain lived on my first generation ipod for for years (laughs) and i used to always rock rock the fuck out to that song (laughs) it was a great thank you so much man play some stereo mud on this perpetual burn guitar this is the one man (laughs) if you google it right now look at the little fucking pink goddamn thing right here it's this is it (laughs) i feel ashamed to try to sweet pick on it but i'll hold it for this episode for Jason, a, by the way, Corey, if you could be kind enough, ALS awareness for Jason. The bottom of this, you can go to the neuroticguitarist.com. And Corey, I'm, Corey, this Corey, I, I, I would like to say that you're now on notice. You've you brought up Jason, and I am going to haunt you until you do something for him with one of these guitars. Absolutely, man. I would love to. I would love. Perfect. To, Practice was, now. 
Start. Like for me, what it, for me, it touches a lot because like when I talk about my dad, my dad ended up getting Parkinson's. Oh my God. And um, I'm sorry. And he, you know, what's weird about music for many years, he would shake and stuff like that. But when he would play, all of it would go like back to normal. So there was something wow. about this music with the mind and the brain that helps you focus and get, you know, get that thing. It, it was incredible to watch, you know? Um, and he, you know, he, he was always super, he laughed and made jokes about it. He was just like one of us, you know what I mean? Just a regular musician, but like, just, you know, like to, to watch him deal with that and, ha and watch how the music could actually slow and help him. I mean, same with Jason Becker, the fact that he can do writing and there are things going on, the things he's doing and things is, uh, that his father did as far as helping him be able to communicate music. It's insane. It's like, it's so off the charts and so cool that, you know, and, and every, you, you don't even have to know who he is, just to know his story a little bit and you'll be affected by how inspiring it's inspiration. I'm going to blow your mind right now because this blew my mind. So when I, I did that video, I got a call from his mom because Jason obviously can't call me because he has ALS. So people, if you don't know, if you haven't learned it yet, please go like Google Jason Becker's story or what have you and, find, and, and, and what Corey was just talking about. Basically, when Jason got ALS and couldn't couldn't work anymore, he devised a system with his eyes so he could basically talk to his dad with his eyes so he could still communicate instead of being trapped in his mind and they even developed like computer software where he could move his eyes and continue to write psychotically good music incredible, incredible. Be better music than you could ever imagine or fathom with his eyes so it's one of those things where it's like so i get a call and it's serena who he wrote a song for his uh handlers i think slash girlfriend and his mom and She's talking and it's like the, you know, when you watch the YouTube of like, you know, his dad doing it for the news for ABC and it's like how he can read his eyes so fast because he's so, you could tell he's taking care of this guy all the time. Like it's his dad literally, love, man. It's true Gar love. Gary Becker, so you know, sent me a book of poetry that he wrote. So this guy like writes poetry and like draws, uh, does paintings and stuff. And he's just like the most nice down to earth, like just loving dude. Like and instead of like letting this stuff bum everybody out, they're the most upbeat people. And Jason called me and said, some angels don't have wings after he watched that. And I know I'm a scumbag from Boston, but I'll tell you right now, having his mom tell me that Jason Becker's literally using an eye system that you've seen on ABC News to tell her that I'm an angel, which You're is a an lie, angel, Jason Becker, but well, I'll dude, take it all day. Dude, it's, it's, dude, it's, I, I was it t even telling you this now. I feel like I'm just I'm lying and I'm bragging and there's just well, no give you credit, man. I mean, I seriously that. I saw that. It's crazy. And I saw that crazy. and I was like, that's a super incredible, incredible thing that you're doing for him. You know what I mean? There's I appreciate you appreciating that. There's people that step out. You don't have to do any of this. You know what I mean? You do it and because that guy affected you a certain way. And you want people to, to understand what that really was. And I really appreciate it as a guitar player, as a musician in general, what you do for, for that whole cause. I really think it's over the top cool. Yeah, and we'll have links to to those uh, the hashtag and, and the other videos and stuff in the description here. So be sure to check that out. 
Um, you know, kind of on on the topic of, of Jason Becker and Guitar Heroes, uh, who who were you looking up to uh, when you were kind of developing your style in guitar playing? Like, what you know, aside from the people directly around you, who were your kind of guitar heroes? Guitar heroes. I mean, same as everyone else, probably. You you look at Eddie Van Halen, and you know, like to me, Dimebag. I actually got a tour with Dimebag. And when I was in with Stuck Mojo and Pantera before they broke up. And I'll tell you right now, maybe second to none in that genre was Dimebag. I mean, incredible. Like it, it, it was it was mind-blowing to watch they, every single night. It was like they were on, you know, Dimebag's four feet from me watching me you know watching us do our thing and and of course we're gonna watch you know but because he's dying back and but i i I could we had a who could play the most van halen contest (laughs) in the concert like uh, we we, and i'm like well we're going on first let's play you know house of plump pain we're gonna do the cool ones and they go on and they're just whipping out van halen song van halen the pantera fans are like and (laughs) Dude, by the time he kicks in to Panther, I mean, it was like, I mean, the earth was coming apart. It was so cool. Um, just so many cool stories. I mean, he was a down to earth guy. And, you know, there again, like, uh, he left, he left us something that, you know, we'll never be able to re- reproduce, you know. Just like, you know, just like uh, Becker, there's, there's, there's certain guys that are just, there's going to be something special about them eternally. You know, we'll always look back. I, in his, and I would ask him his influence, Eddie Van Halen's his influence. Um, Steve Ray Vaughn, we would talk a lot about Steve Ray Vaughn. Then we would listen to Little Wing on repeat <laughs> of Steve Ray Vaughn and just like, just get hammered and deliver like <laughs> 10 times over and over, just like, Dude, listen, no, no, right here, and listen to this vibrato, like all these things, and then you know, like the, I, I'm so fortunate to have some of those memories, and of them, and you know, loving, loved them to death, man. But uh, yeah, I mean, as far as playing, like you know, uh, my dad was always, he's always going to be my first go-to as far as guitar. Like, you know, because he had those weird, the, the big chords, not just the bar chords. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, he knew the bar chords, you know. The, the, I'll go to my rock guys for that. But, like, my dad was like, he could play, you know, a lot of jazz and stuff like that. So I learned all these. I didn't know what they were called. I was just looking at his hands and go, and blues chords and stuff like that. And Phil, to me, so to me, um, I see on TikTok. I, I I get lost in that thing sometimes because the sure. the amount of talent that's out there. Can I tell you that the best talent in the world will never be signed? Oh, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Ever. Yeah. And, and 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 you'll never know them. Probably you'll just come across them one day, and but they have no interest. Touring is hard. Everyone thinks that it's you know. Hey, man, you're out there and then. It's awesome, but it's, you know, can you leave your family? Can you leave your friends? Can you, and for years, it's like you're gone, you know, 300 days out of the year in the beginning is what we were doing. And oh my God. so that's a, that's a hard act. That's a hard thing to do. 
Um, and I got cousins that are amazing players and amazing players, but they're, they'd have no interest in touring life. You know, they, you know, they'll sit on that porch and bluegrass it to death. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they don't want to go out on tour. You know, that's me and Clint, our dumbasses, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's, you know, you love music and it doesn't matter to me. It's a, to me, it's not about the fame part of any so much as like just playing because you love it, man. You play because you have to. You don't play because, you know, I'm trying to be cool. You're playing because it's just something that comes to you and, and you're trying to express yourself in a certain way. And, I, you know, the TikTok things got me freaked out because I look on these and I see these kids just killing it unbelievable they don't even know i don't even think they know what they are can I, can I tell you something that freaked me the fuck out because i always hate this because people will be like here's the seven-year-old girl that played eruption from japan and i'm like <laughs> okay cool thanks for showing me a japanese girl but like did she ever bang your girlfriend and smoke cigarettes in the in, and like like that's a different sound <laughs> this than, analogy than gets weirder Hill. every episode okay. no but <laughs> i I, I I mean it's but with no, we talk Darryl, about this yeah we talk yeah. about this a lot but but with okay so there's all these people who are super 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 like crazy technical but at what point do you say like because Dimebag Daryl like when he walked out like I'll tell you my first moment with Dimebag was Ozfest '97 okay. I didn't even really like heavy stuff but I was like okay and I remember he played this love and I was like oh finally something a little relaxing and I remember when he did his like first bend. He had this big, long red beard and he just pointed up and he bent up. And I was like, what the fuck was that? It was a pinch harmonic. I didn't know what that was at the time. And then he did this dive bomb and he pointed down as a guy pointed, like poured wild turkey into his mouth. <laughs> and I said to him, but then he started doing the solo. And, and, and I'm like, who is this man? He's playing Converse. He's spitting out fucking drinks. He's like fucking literally like he's got uh, the the guys from Kiss. I, I don't really know Kiss, but I know Kiss is supposed to be cool. So I'm like, all right. So he likes Kiss. And he's got the fuck. And I just remember leaving going, what the fuck did I just see? And I yeah. got to tell you that since that moment, I went back to my guitar teacher when I listened to the Cemetery Gates and said, what's that sound? He goes, it's called a pinch harmonic. And it changed my life. I mean, I love Zach Wilde after that, but like literally Dimebag Daryl was the first time I internalized that. And you're talking about listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan with him. What the fuck was that really like? What was going through your head? Dude, I'm just, to me, I'm sitting with a legend. I knew that, you know, that that that's the thing. Like with him, I was such a vulgar came out. I mean, Cowboys from Hell came out. Then vulgar came out. Vulgar changed everybody. If you wanted to play any heavy music, you know, you, you everything you were writing, you threw away. And said, <laughs> I got to start over. That just <laughs> desecrated all of everybody. Metallica backed up. They were the biggest at that point. They were winning all the Grammys, all the the non-stupid shit but it was like that album just was affecting everybody and it was just real it was like uh see here's the we 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 rock you know, we're a rock band right we're we're rebellion art and i think we forget that we get lost in the practice 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 no we're rebellion art without the rebellion arts part of it it's just notes you know what i mean and and they just came across as it was just powerful. It empowered you. It gave you this feeling. And um, man, and he did it with such ease. Like you're saying, 
I watched that guy get hammered and just like, but his hands were like this, like they were their own species. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's incredible to watch. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, the entire band, just like every now and then you find that, that group that every, everybody's in tune with each other. You know what I mean? Phil's voice, Vinny, an incredible drummer, you know, Rex on bass, just the tonalities work so well together. And, you know, you come across it and it's just something special. You know, that's what that band was. You know, that there's a lot of new bands. Gajira is a, a phenomenal band right now that's kicking. But I like, I listen to everything though. Like I am, I'll go from that to old to new, you know, like I, I, I like studying this, the sonic sounds of things, you know, from I'm all over the place, you know, like uh, when I listen to that, um, the, the soundtrack for Stranger Days, man, I, I listen to that soundtrack and I'm like, this is like the 80s, but like this new sound, like, how are they getting that? And so, so I, I got so into that movie that I ended up doing a, a, a score for this uh, short, scary movie. And it was like my first score. I was like, you know, I gotta, I want to learn how to do that. And I ended up winning this uh, France uh, award thing. Um, and I'm like, it's just such a crazy, it's a crazy world, man. If you just put yourself out there, say, hey, man, that was inspiring. I want to learn how to do that. And try, you know, be honest with yourself and try. Make, you know what sounds cool. The thing is with music is just do it until it, you, know it's good so many people just write a riff and say okay that's that's a riff no right play it's how you play it there's how many songs are a three chord progression why can that guy play a three chord progression it just sounds different you know you gotta you gotta it's how that the heart of that and that's that's where the the, the that whole art form to me is amazing you know? Well, that's the difference between the people on TikTok, a lot of them for me. And I'm not taking away from the fact that you have, like, look, there's some of these guys that are doing all these slap, uh, crazy, ridiculous techniques because, you know, like Nuno lamented on our show about like, you know, well, we didn't have YouTube and Eddie Van Halen played with his back to the audience. And, you know, we just had to fucking look at our friends and we got, you know, our Uncle Bobby and that's it. And fuck you guys, because now you have people like who grew up listening to Extreme or Van Halen who are yeah, like, but you know, with their that, kids. Those things created Bumblebee, so I mean, that's fine yeah, too. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. But the thing is, that at what point though, and you're talking about so like Miles Davis. You were joking. We're joking around before, like Miles Kennedy versus Miles Davis. And uh, Miles Davis, one of my favorite uh, quotes he has, and I'm pretty sure it's Miles Davis. He's like, it's not. It's it's 20 percent about the note you're playing and 80 percent of the attitude of the motherfucker mm-hmm. playing the note. And totally. Remember when Miles Davis did the, the the was the black and white movie? Another amazing piece. Like he did a black and white movie where he just plays. He's watching the screen and just ad libbing. And that's the that's the entire soundtrack. It's an incredible piece of art, and no one really even knows about it. No one ever sits and says, "I'm gonna listen to that." And, and but it's just like, I, you know, I, I watched a thing on it. And I'm like, and I watched it, and I'm like, I'm gonna listen to this thing. What was he? And he one take, the whole movie's done, and he just plays through the. How, it's just a trumpet and him, and it's that's the soundtrack, and it's in, fucking incredible. And it's, but Miles Kennedy is an am, amazing guitar player too, though. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, he's stupid good. He's, he's so like hum- he's, 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 he's humble good. about it too. He's, he's a, like so he's a sweet. jerk. He he's like he's the kind of guy that could play Jason Becker, and he's like, oh no, dude, I just you know I just fiddle around. Like meanwhile, I listened to his entire new solo record, and it's it's scary good how his guitar playing yeah. is. It's like fusiony. It's like is that Tony McAlpine or is that fucking Miles Kennedy? But yeah, it's Miles Kennedy. Yeah, I mean that's you know like you find your influences like. <laughs> When people say, who's your favorite guitar player and all that, you know, like, man, it, you know, I, I come from a family of, you know, my brother's an amazing guitar player. And, and you know, you've, you know, you grew up around an entire family that could play and, and they were inspired by cool people. Everybody was inspired by different people. And eventually you say, well, why were you inspired by that? And they, you, so you want to know, I mean, George Harris the Beatles wouldn't be the Beatles without those weird secondary guitar parts. You know what I mean? And they were simple, but it was just the perfect notes for that time. You know, it's like, it's not how many notes and there's a whole genre for, to, for uh, fans that say, man, I, I can't wait to hear, you know, Michelangelo just like, Whoa, you know, you know, it's amazing. And, but there's like, there's so many cool things about okay, the but you you just brought up a good point because I saw Michelangelo Badio do a like a 47 minute live Dimebag Daryl Pantera tribute, and it was it was exactly what you think it'd be. It's him playing every Pantera song perfectly, playing the guitar solos perfectly, but even crazier than perfect. And it's like, and he did it live. He he streamed it live. And the question is. But does, does he have does he have any friends? And I know he's a really nice guy. In fact, I'm not making fun of him. But I think immediately when I see that level of talent, I'm like, I think his, I think do, his, he, his, his, his only friend because it's the same haircut since the beginning of time. Well, and I'll tell you something else about TikTok. So there's something I saw on Loudwire. There's some girl and she's like, I don't know, like 18 years old. And she looks like Daria, like the cartoon. And she's like this little pleasant, like librarian looking girl. And they said, this girl embodies the soul of Dimebag Daryl and I'm like okay clickbait and I go and look at it and I swear to fucking god it sounded like Dimebag Daryl <laughs> like an Ouija board was playing through this perfectly demure nice pleasant and she's just looking at the camera she's not looking at her fingers at all and she's just playing and she has the same you can see the vibrato the way she's holding it and she's doing it with such finesse and care and I'm like it was the first time I believed in reincarnation. I actually looked when Dimebag Daryl died and when this girl was born because I've seen it all, dude. If you want to see, if you want to fucking flip yourself out, just Google like YouTube girl Dimebag Daryl and you'll find this one and it's dead on. Everyone sends me like, oh, it's the Japanese girl playing Eruption, but it sounds like a Japanese girl playing Eruption. No, this sounds like Dimebag Daryl came back from the fucking dead through this fucking girl and it's creepy as fuck. And that's all I got to tell you about the YouTube. It scares me and I don't even want to play anymore. <clears throat> but then you get into the writing of it. Can she write like <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. right? No, sure, of course. Have you ever heard that? No. I mean, <laughs> no. you can go to Vegas, and I swear, guys sing better than Elvis in Vegas. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Sure, oh, yeah. Are they Elvis? You right. know what I mean? 
Well, we, we talked about this the other day in the dressing room when you wandered in asking about violin stuff and we were talking about composers and how like so many of them had debilitating mental illness and how that's actually like a huge part of the music. <laughs> no, really, though. That but is, it is, it is, It's true. It is odd to to watch like an, an amazing classical player that has not experienced any of those things, you know, but they execute it so well that you're like, wow, that really is. I mean, it's 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 odd, but it's it's right. It comes down to the writing of it, I guess. It's just, yeah, I mean, there's the, the I think the, there's a, the, the depression part of our gig, you know, like where you're hyper depressed, you know, like a lot, I think a lot of writers and it's your only outlet. It's the only mm-hmm. therapist that you know that works, you know what I mean? And it only works until the next song. And it's this this ongoing thing. And even when you go to a therapist, you know, they, you know, I just find something that you know they tell you on all that calm voice and that sounds cool but until you can release something and i think even with fans i think america was wrecked not going to see live concerts for two years mm-hmm. i think yeah. the country has never been in a shittier spot when you can't have a release through music and it's the most underrated no one talks about it but i'm like that's you're watching the country fall apart and now the country everybody now everybody's back to just straight up bitching it's not falling apart anymore and it's coming back together kind of but it's it when you don't when you can't when you're sitting at your house and you can't go out and have that release sing as loud as you want it was this i think it had this weird effect on people Oh. It's you know it's interesting yeah. you say that because I played a festival right at, on uh, after September 11th to, and um, I remember all the headliners so you were it was supposed to be like a local festival in front of 25,000 people with the rock station WAF that was out here RIP yeah and Mistress Carrie right Mistress yeah. Carrie hell yeah dude yeah and uh, the local bazooka was the name of the show and and we had there was a bunch of big bands on and they all canceled except for Henry Rollins. And I got to tell you, because I love Henry Rollins more than anybody, because, I mean, even as a speaker, as a band, like, I could care less. Black Flag changed the world. Well, that song, if you go back and listen to it, is so poignant now, actually, because everything he says, you know, is what you want to hear. And then he's your friend, and then you believe him. But the thing is, he came out in 2001, and I remember everyone, again, everyone canceled. We were all scared. Like, you're going to be in a large group. Is someone going to be blown up? Is someone going to fly a plane into you? And Rollins just came out on that fucking stage, and it was the most insane insane havoc and you know the guy has the greatest stage presence in the history of fucking time just with black flag so i remember that and then i remember not seeing anyone in covid which is the longest i've never played live or not seen a live show and i remember one of the first shows i saw back was garbage and shirley manson came out on stage and she started crying she's yeah. like you don't know how much i we appreciate this and i was sitting there cathartically as a musician going no shirley manson I know exactly how much you appreciate this. And we all, like, I sang every garbage song. I didn't know them, but I Googled the words just so I could feel like I was part of it. <laughs> and then I saw Alanis Morissette because that was my childhood. And I just know every song on Jagged Little Pill, and she played the whole thing perfectly, Amazing and I cried. Record. Record. It cried. But the point was is I needed that so bad. And I didn't know until I needed that. I was, I was literally crying. I had tears coming down my face yeah. knowing that Dave Coulier was, you know, that song you ought to know was about him. And I knew that, and I was singing, and I was in 1994 five instead of COVID. That's it's, it's, it's two years. Rant's over. 9-11, a two year 9-11. And it was like, it just it affects yeah. people, you know? By the way, the uh, Henry Rollins uh, shut up and get in the band's an amazing book. 
Check that. All of his, but all of his books are good. All yeah. the shows he's ever been on, he has his own publishing company. I just saw him speak live. So my fiance, just as a side note, I told I take her to things, and she always wonders wonders about my judgment. And I bought her tickets to go see Henry Rollins, and she's like, "Who is it?" I'm like, "It's a speaker. Is he a comedian? Not exactly, but he's funny." Yeah. Well, why do I want to go see him? Well, he talks for three hours, two and a half hours, and it's just like off the top of his head, and it's great. She's like, I really fucking hate you for taking me to this. And then we left, and we got out, and she goes, oh, my God, for 90 minutes, it went it went by fast. I'm like, sweetheart, you're reading your clock, your, 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 your watch wrong. It was two and a half hours. Because that right. dude literally just ranted about, you know, the craziest shit because he's Henry Rollins. And I think to myself, is this guy our modern day, you know, Socrates or yeah. Descartes? Is fucking Henry Rollins, the guy from Black Fra- Flag. Like, that's yeah. the truth. As long as he stays out of acting where he's going to do well, you know, like that one movie. <laughs> Flea did it. So did the dude from all the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, whatever. Henry Rollins Henry. looks angry. And Everybody. he was in Sons of Anarchy too, I think, too. Yeah, and absolutely. You don't have to act to be on that show. No, man. Listen, he. Uh, the, th- the thing about his book was it was just a lot of truth. I mean, it, it was so hardcore. It was just a. He created a scene. He knows how to. When he tells a story, it's just you feel like you're in the the stinky club with him. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. wow. You know, everybody's bleeding. You know, the cl- manager's not paying you that night. You know, the van's blowing up. You know, the fans. All the his whole story is amazing, you know. So, yeah, I uh, there's a there's a few. I think he, he uh, there's a few more people out there that are kind of like him, you know. Um, the um, what's that one guy? I can't, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I can't, of course, but but anyway, he didn't realize he, he was amazing. Remember when he jumped up and kicked? He was so excited. He jumped up and knocked himself out. Bye, I'll remember. No, dude, he jumped. He's he, he's so excited. He comes out on stage, runs out. Jumps up, knees himself in the face, and is out. Holy shit. They don't play. They don't even fucking play. And I'm like, that is so bad. I'm like, can you imagine being so pumped? Oh, you know, you're like, he was in the full Rollins mode. Runs out, jumps up, knees himself in the face. I'm like, I, I could tell you exactly when I found out he was the coolest because there uh, there was a local radio station that used to play like you know the you know, the local stuff like the college stations and they'd play whatever they wanted whether it was Doctor Demento or what, and someone put on uh, Henry Rollins and there's a track called The Blueprints for the Destruction of the World. And you, you could just think about what that's about. It's 12 minutes long. And I remember not knowing who Henry Rollins was. I was like maybe 11 listening on my mono boom box. And I'm like, find all the drugs. Don't do cocaine because you're a pussy. Like all these things he say. Like, and then go into the store and just steal everything because it's yours. And like he's just saying all this crazy shit. And I'm like, who is this guy? He's like, you want to know how you do a drug deal, man? He's like, do you have the drugs? Do you have the money? Yeah. And then you fucking leave, like, or you kill the guy, like, like, literally. And he says the craziest shit. And I remember literally writing it down before they had Google or YouTube, and going to my local comic book store and recanting this track. And they're like, maybe you're talking about spoken word. It's probably Rollins. And I actually bought the double record set that the blueprints of destruction of the world when i was 11 years old because i heard it on a station i was just like who's this nihilistic dude i feel like i should copy his humor he's still he's still out there doing this right he's still out there making new shit i saw him like two months ago he was fucking brilliant talking a guy 
Just so you know, he talked. Somebody broke into his house. That's like three quarters of his show. He talks about how he had a guy who was psychotic broke into his house, which is supposedly a compound, and uh, that basically he had a. Uh, it was. It's the craziest thing ever, and he turns that into two and a half hours of just holy shit because it's Henry Rollins. <laughs> Henry Rollins. <laughs> By the way, Henry Rollins has not endorsed this or paid right, us any right. money. I was going to say we just went off like, the rails. Like Henry's, he's texting me right now, saying, "Tell him to shut the fuck up." <laughs> <laughs> you should actually personally say, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> we uh, we got we got about uh, eight minutes left in, in part one. Um, How many? And so. Eight, and you took up about 50. So we need to get more of Corey in this episode. Yeah. The, uh, there's, I love uh, him. He's awesome. He's awesome. They, they, they told me how cool it was going to be. And like, wait till you, wait till you hear Benny. Benny, <laughs> and you know what? I, I'm making it like four cups of coffee, and I will be like a whole different person with you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, well, listen, dude, when you energy, come to Boston, dude, bro, please, I love please. Your energy. keep your energy exactly where it is, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Don't encourage him too much. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I definitely in the next uh, part, I want to talk about current touring with Seether and when what you guys are doing. I'm, you know, you guys have been on the road now for for a few weeks so i'd love to hear about how all that's going um but what i would like to kind of get into and we can start it in this part is you know you you do some production and music uh like producing outside of just performing and that's not you know something that every guitar player musician kind of goes for so how how did you kind of shift into that world of actually beyond songwriting creating the whole picture yeah um I got into recording, you know, like just like everybody else. You know, for me, I had a boombox and I would take my boombox, hit record, play something, and then I would put it, grab another tape and hit with another second boombox, hit record so I could solo over it. And then I would sing over it. And like, then I finally got a four track and I thought, I am getting ready to desecrate the world. This is going to be amazing. Then an eight track, and then um, I, I just I like that whole concept of being able to to separate things and 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 actually record. You know, like I, even like the beginning where you just, you just hold a mic in a room and track your own band. Um, that was so you could hear it. It was like first it started out like, does this song sound good without playing? Does it sound good when I match play and and, and stuff like that? Then and I just got. Kept going into that world. Rick Prosher, we did the Stereo Mud record. And I was deep into it at that point, but I had no confidence, you know, as far as that side of the fence. Learning how to work with a singer and talk Wait, to him did about Mar- Did Marty erase all your tracks too? Did he tell you that you like <laughs> suck just by getting rid of them? Because that's what Marty Friedman does and you shouldn't take it personally. M- Marty Friedman? No, I was, jo- I was joking because uh, that's what he did to Jeff Loomis and he made Jeff... Okay, we can get yeah. back into it. Ignore him. Yeah, it's fine. So, so, so Rick Prosho, he left the studio. He says, do you know what you're doing? And I said, I know what I want, yes. And he, and he says, okay, I'll be back. And he left the whole day. And <laughs> I, I was just... So I'm like... So I'm like mounting, you know, like I'm in the captain chair, you know? And the, the first song I did was Pain. And he came in and said, you know what? He says, 
this is good. It had one little suggestion, you know, like in that bridge section, can we kind of shorten it one, a little bit? And we, I think we took like four bars out, or eight bars out, something, and and that became the song. And he says, "Listen, keep doing what you're doing." And it, it, he says, "The he says the best part of a producer is is if the artist knows what he wants." and gets out of the way the best producers get out of the way and let the artist be artist mm-hmm. and it just it, it it gave me a lot of confidence to have it he had my back at any point i could have called him and said hey man i don't know what the hell you know but i i mean I, and the band was super cool eric rogers you know he would i was talking to him about where to sing from your throat you know you know how to project and stuff like that and it it just from that point, I started doing things for free for local bands. And just because, you know, we paid a half a million dollars for the record. I learned all this stuff. Let me pass it on and, and see if there's even, will I have interest in it? So, and it went from local bands and then one band said, man, we'll pay you. And I was like, okay. And, and then, then I got, you know, started getting paid more and more. And then man, then now I have a manager that's actually getting me, you know, legitimate gigs with labels and stuff like that. So it was a, but it was a, a, a process, you know what I mean? But Rick Prosher, I got to give him the credit as far as letting me know that you, you've got this, you know, you know what you want. Your the arrangements are good and stuff like that. He taught, you know, just you learn so much from all these great producers. I'm friends with just as many producers as probably musicians. I t- call to them all the time, send demos and, you know, we send each other mixes and what do you think of this? You know, like, and we have suggestions and this is small community that uh, everybody's super cool. And cause at the end of the day, you just want the best stuff out there. And the only way you're going to get it these days is, it, you know, someone learns a new trick, you share it. You know, the ones that are well, like, do you them, feel? Do you, yeah, I can't. Well, I do don't you feel like every? You, you know. There's so much like pop music and, and, and you know, R&B and, and, and you know, obviously rap and uh, kind of, I don't want to say clogging up the airways, but that like now, like if there's rock music of any kind that makes through like it's less competition in the sense like fuck those guys. It's more of just like, thank God that there's rock and roll on the radio or getting kind of airplay now. So why wouldn't you share whatever secrets you have? Because you're still fighting against, you know, the enemy because we're rebellion music. That's it. That's it. Period. <laughs> Always. Yeah. But right. we don't have like uh, twenty people writing a pre-course either, you know. Yeah. Usually, <laughs> you know, usually just one of us whipping it right. out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Old school. That's great. Well, listen, uh, Corey, uh, <laughs> thank you for hanging. Uh, part one, uh, you know, two zero two zero dash d dot com. Uh, we have another uh, episode coming out next week with you, and we're excited to dive into that as well. Uh, is there anything you want to tell our viewers and listeners about before we head out? On the next episode, Benny's going to express himself so well to you guys. Like, oh boy, just go to part two, me and Benny. <laughs> we're going to figure all of it out on this next show Sh- Siobhan so disappointed in you <laughs> so with that you've been 2020 to Corey it's been great talking to you we can't wait to dive back in with part two so stick around for part two with Corey Lowry ALS awareness for Jason thanks for bringing it up Corey we love you Absolutely, man brother. 
Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 99, featuring Satchel of Steel Panther. Check it out. Yeah, it was, I mean, listen, Vinnie Paul was fucking awesome, dude. I, I gotta say, I went to a, a, a Pantera show when they were playing in, um, in Amsterdam years and years ago, and I went with a friend of mine, and, um, we all smoked pot with Pantera. It was a head. It was a headlining show. They were. They were at. I can't remember where they played, but it was somewhere in, in Amsterdam. And we were backstage with them before they went on, and we smoked pot with them. And those guys, I'm, like, they smoked so much fucking pot <laughs> before they went on that my friend couldn't go. He couldn't move. He fucking. He passed out from the pot and fell fell asleep on the floor backstage and oh, i went man. out and watched pantera and those guys were already smoking when i got there and i was so high i couldn't feel my toes and those guys went out and they played the tightest set i've ever seen a fucking band play it was the most mind-boggling thing i've ever seen Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.